All right, welcome back. Episode four, Inside the Lines. We're still here, James and Thomas. Uh, probably talking about little Andy Dalton, Jameis Winston getting signed. We got the new NFL schedule. Get into the MJ doc a little bit. We have a great interview coming up with Tom Kern of NBC Sports. He's been covering the path for the last 22 years, so he knows his shit. He knows what he's talking about. He gives us a little insight into Brady, Belichick, what's been going on there with the offseason. Uh, Tom, how you doing today? Doing good. Nice day out. But a great, great conversation with Tom Curran. He said he's been in the business for so long. He's done. He's he's had relationships with Brady, Gronk, and Belichick that he talked about. Pretty cool. He's talking about how he's a Patriots fan and how he grew up. And he's like, I can't complain. I've had seen nine Super Bowls and won six while covering the Patriots. Basically, as an insider for your favorite team, it's not much else you can like hope for. You know, that obviously a weird time. Like we we're talking about how Patriots been on the top the last 20 years or so. Now we got at least a lot of question marks coming through. We got the Stidham area or the Stidham era, which we touch on a little bit, which I know we've been talking about. We're definitely excited about, excited to see where that goes. He kind of give, gives us a little insight into his strengths and weaknesses. I mean, I'm excited to see where that goes uh, and where the rest of the offense goes you know, around Stidham and what we yeah. got in store for the next. I think it's just something years. new and excited to be about because we don't know, and this is the first real mystery, and you don't know what's going to happen. So I think the not knowing is adding excitement to the season, also nervous, and I don't think we're built to win now. But it's awkward because when's the last time we've won into a season saying, oh, I don't think this team can win? You know, we haven't. We haven't been there since I think we were real sports fans. Like, <laughs> I guess, I guess now that this, so the schedules come out so far, like you we were saying yesterday, I think we both had our Patriots record predictions last week. Let's see if they've, they've changed it all. I, I think I have my same number and I think I'm going to go with an optimistic 10 and six again. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. I, I'm thinking, Best case, best case, eleven and five. Worst case, seven and nine. I'm get, I'm gonna go ten and six. I'm gonna go nine and seven there. Seven. I, I see the losses, Ravens, Chiefs, definite. I see the 49ers. That's three right there. I mean, the Bills then, are two tough games as well. So I think that the Bills definitely take one. That's four, and then that's not bad either. I don't see the Jets beating us. The Dolphins, you know, never, never know. Yeah. It, it's not an e- it's not an easy cakewalk of a schedule. It'd be the hardest in the league. So, well, we got we got Dolphins week one. So, it, that, that I a, think that I think that'll be. Do, I don't know if they're playing two of though. Like you never. Like, that's, that's what I was gonna say. I I don't know if it's gonna be. Is gonna be two. I don't know two or Fitzpatrick. That's what I'm. I I mean that definitely plays into. There's been there's been talks that he won't even play at all this year. That's like. Uh, which you can't like whatever you think if there if there's a higher risk of him getting hurt playing this year, there's no point of playing him. True. With the with the injury too, I would be I would be pretty surprised if we see them. If we if, see even if there's before. like a five percent increase in injury, no, there's no point of wasting your entire future if he if you think he's that good. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about the uh, NFL schedule a little more on the back end after we get to the interview, but. Right now, let's get into the interview with Tom Curran. Here we go. A few moments later. 
All right, please welcome on Tom Curran from NBC Sports. Uh, Tom, how are we doing today? And how's the whole Corona vibe going? Everything's going all right here. The Corona vibe where I am, uh, it isn't bad because I'm down kind of closer to the Cape near New Bedford, Fall River. It's kind of rural. So I don't have, you know, I'm not, you guys are probably a little closer to Boston. James, where are you from? Marblehead, same town. Same town. So you guys are, are much closer to Boston, much more dense areas. So I think that everybody's experience is a lot different. Mine has not been that bad. I got three guys who are about your age who are also quarantined here. So we're, we're hanging. Listen, relative to most people, I would probably be in the 97th or 98th percentile of positive quarantines. So that's why I kick myself, boys, every time I start to get negative. And I do have a habit of getting negative as the week goes along. So today's supposed to be my upbeat day. And and we're supposed to be getting, or we did get golf courses back in Massachusetts yesterday, which is huge for some of us. So yeah, we're hoping to we're hoping to get it on the course. Are you uh, looking to get it on the course as well? I play at LeBaron Hills Country Club over here. I've been sneaking over to the Lazy A driving range. Keep that between you and I. It's a coin-operated driving range, so I've been hitting balls over there. I got a net that I ordered. It's out back here. Um, yeah, I'm definitely looking to uh, to get uh, the 2020 Points Cup going with my two buddies, uh, George and, and Mike Gallagher. Um, so I think we're just going to jump into the whole Patriots offseason talk. I know you're probably so tired of talking about the Brady thing, but my first question about Brady on the Tampa Bay would be, did you have a feeling going into the season that it was a real possibility? And then after the Titans game, did you think it was like that much more of a reality? Yeah, I kind of knew where things have stood, and uh, I've known him for 20 years. I've developed a, what I think is a strong relationship with him and um, a lot of the people around him. Um, it's hard to call anybody a friend that you're covering in sports, but we are very familiar and, and friendly professional acquaintances, and we stay in touch. Um, I knew where he was. I knew where he felt. I read the um, – signals and tea leaves and, and underlying quotes. Um, you know, after the 2016 season, guys, when they won the Super Bowl, someone close to him said to me, now everything changes. What's that mean? Well, we kind of found out soon thereafter, and he made that very strong push to, to get TB12 out there and to push his brand forward because he said, you know, the, the theory was we're a five-time Super Bowl winner now. No one else has done that. Let's capitalize. You're almost 40. So they did that. That went sideways up Bill Belichick's posterior. That turned into the pissing contest that ensued um, between Belichick and Brady and then tangentially with, with Alex Carrero and some of the off-field pursuits. And, and Bill being Bill and Tom being Tom, Bill doesn't go directly to people. He just kind of makes – sometimes he can just make life miserable. He'll go directly to you, but he'll also kind of make life miserable. <clears throat> and Tom's a non-confrontational guy. And he went with the, I'm going uh, I'm gonna ask forgiveness and not permission, but not even ask forgiveness. And he went about his business. Now, we can have a long conversation about whether he was entitled to do that or not. Making less than most of the league after all that he'd done. Was it okay for him to branch out on his own at 40 years old and not ask for permission from dad if he could do these things? Some would say yes, others would say no. Either way, that's when the foundation was laid. And then the whole Garoppolo thing was something else that was a burr in his saddle. Look, are, are we committing to me long-term or are we not? 
and the amount of time it took for them to make a move with Garoppolo, fellas, was something that let Brady know, look, they're trying to figure out a way to replace me here. Ultimately, they couldn't. He had an MVP season in 2017. But after that 2017 season, uh, which they lost to Philadelphia, and Brady had been given every signal that we're not signing up for you long-term, bud, that's when it was well, over that period of time. I knew it was, it was getting dicey. And I've written about it many times um, as to, look, I'm not having a good time here. They don't want me here. They're making it obvious. I'm going to see what happens. And that's why I wasn't the least bit surprised. Long-ass answer, huh? Sorry. <laughs> well, yeah, so off that, <clears throat> off, like obviously Brady's the biggest, uh, you know, surprise, or at least biggest storyline of the offseason. But then recently we have Gronkowski deciding to join him in Tampa as well. Was that something that surprised you as well? Yes, or kind of, that 100%. That did. That did when because look, went into his decision making process there and, and, and kind of eventually why he decided to do that. Well, Gronkowski had a different situation than Brady. He was also financially based in that he signed a six year. Is it okay if I give these long ass answers, guys? Go ahead. Okay. Yeah, we like it. He signed a six year, $54 million contract in 2012. That at the time was awesome for him because he had been injury prone. Um, and the Patriots were making a commitment to him. But there was, in 2016, an option that they could pick up. If the Patriots picked that option up, conceivably, Gronk was going to be playing at a lower cost, conceivably, than most guys. But you never even knew in 2012, is this guy even going to make it to 2016? So when they picked up that option, and he's making less than, for instance, Dwayne Allen, that started to go sideways up his ass. And with four brothers who also played in the league and a dad who was very savvy and an agent in Drew Rosenhaus, they knew that he was getting taken advantage of. He signed the contract. Patriots are entitled to take advantage of him. But he started to get a little irritated. Um, and Belichick, in turn, didn't like the way he was doing his business, especially when it got to the point where, okay, Gronkowski coming back from 2016 when he hurt his back, he became a, a subscriber to the um, TB12 stuff, which I am an acolyte of as well. Having all about pliability. There, huh? It's all about pliability. It's all about pliability. It's all about not doing this. This is my second extra large coffee of the day. You lay off the caffeine. It's water, 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 water. Bands, don't constrict yourself. Don't do curls because curls make your muscles tighter and smaller. You want to make them longer, especially you baseball players, right? Yeah. So that's what it's all about. Yeah. And so Gronk's like, I'm not doing squats anymore. I'm not loading up my back with all that shit. Um, I'm not doing, um, I'm not going to make my glutes so tight that my back gets pulled on. I'm not doing that. And that became a pissing contest. And that is where things went sideways there. And Belichick, again, has a habit of making things difficult. So then it got territorial. You know, they felt as if Gronk wouldn't practice and we couldn't get him out there and you never know when he's going to be out there or not out there. Meanwhile, Gronk's trying to take care of his own body and situation. When he retired, and he and I had a really good relationship, he talked to me about the mental aspect and the physical aspect is wearing on him. And I felt that he might come back. I knew it would never be with the Patriots. So... That, that stage was set, but I mean, 
what Gronkowski did, fellas, I thought was somewhat genius in that he waited until the Patriots were up against the cap and then said, I'm going to unretire here, and you can't stop me unless you want to cut players to keep me around. Yeah, I think what was interesting about the Gronk thing was when he was on Fox this season talking about the trade the Patriots had, and he was just he just said, I'm going to retire if you trade me. And I think that would kind of hit me like was the Belichick had the relationship with Brady and Gronk. They were kind of were together, and it was like mm-hmm. against Belichick. And I think that – but my other opinion about that was if you're a Patriots fan – I know we want a first-round draft pick, but you take a Super Bowl every single time. So. 100%. 100%. You could talk about wanting a first-round draft pick, but if the Patriots say we're taking a first-round draft pick from Tampa Bay, or what? <laughs> or he's going to stay retired, you're not going to get yeah. the player, or he can unretire, and he can hose your salary cap, and you have to cut you know, Patrick Chung or somebody to keep Kronk around, who in three weeks might just say, you know what, I'm only kidding, I'm going to retire again. So – it's it was really a fascinating way of having things play out. What do you boys who consume the NFL just as much as I do? Um, what do you forecast for the way those guys are going to perform in Tampa Bay? What are the big questions in your minds, James? Let's hit you first. Which what's the biggest question in your mind as to what is going to impact their performance in Tampa? I think it's going to, at least personally, so a lot of the talk's been that Brady wasn't that good last year, and I watch it too, but it's it's kind of like what was it on the receivers not being there and him having, you know, Jacoby Myers and Edelman really being the only guy to help him out there. He goes down to Tampa now and he has Mike Evans, Godwin, Gronk. Kind of everything is in place for the offense to do well this year. So I'm really curious to see – if last year was like, if Brady's still Brady, if he's still got it, or if mm-hmm. last year was kind of the start of the decline, I think he's still got it. I think Bruce Arians a really good coach. I think Byron Leftwich is a good coach. I think he's, he's got all the pieces to succeed. I think it's, I think it's just going to come down to if um, he really still is the guy, which I think, I think he's probably, I think he's still a top 10 quarterback, and I think yep. he might be a top five quarterback. I I think Tampa will be um, second in the NFC South. I don't think they'll win it, but I think they'll go to the playoffs. That's my Tom, Tommy, what do you what do you think? Where does the blame lie for the 2019 Patriots, the failings of the 2019 Patriots offense, regardless of the right, – regardless so my, of the my team opinion building, is a little bit unpopular. I've watched some clips, and maybe that's toward my bias, but – Brady hasn't been a big uh, like offseason guy and hasn't done the same preparation he's had. And he doesn't have the greatest talent, but he's worked with that. And I think his offseason preparing and getting those timing routes down and stuff like that with those guys who don't have that separation. And I think he started to get mad. And we've seen time and time again after Antonio Brown left, he, he was just looking at Edelman. It was Edelman, Edelman, Edelman. Edelman had a couple drops there. We saw that play out. Mm-hmm. And then – there was no one a separation, and what pissed Brady off more was the Gordon thing because he wasn't working hard. So I think Brady just felt alone out there, and he was like, I have nothing to help me. Sony Michelle can't run the football. So I it think was- it was a combination of everything. There's no run game. I think that would people don't, like, look at. 100%. 2000, when we won the Super Bowl, 
Tony Michelle was one of our best players and we need him to be one of our best players to succeed. And we had no run game. So by the time it was third and eight and everyone knew we were throwing the football and you have a right tackle that's just whiffing on every block. You're not going to have Nobody can get separation. You, and you I don't, don't have that down get separation field. three yards downfield and that's it. And then you just double yeah. him. I mean, that's, that's the interesting thing. And I, I agree with both you guys in, in your takes, Thomas, especially because it, it was a team building thing. And that's why that's what spawned the agitation from Brady, you know, and that, that's why everything we've talked about is all linked together. So why wasn't he there for off-season workouts? Well, he's been asking for an extension. They're not giving him an extension. Workouts in the off-season, aside from minicamp, they're voluntary. So if you're getting paid, say the going rate in your business is 50 grand, you're the best in the business, and you're making, well, say the highest, guy, highest paid guys in your business are making 75 grand, uh, an average guy, makes about 60 grand and you're making 63, but you're the best in the business by far. And then they're asking you to come in on Sundays and stay away from your family, but they won't ante up and give you the extension you want. You're going to start quote unquote, working to rule is the uh, phrase. So the stage was set. Then they didn't do anything in the off season to help him out. So he did come in pissed off. And the Antonio Brown thing was a friggin' disaster from the beginning. Shouldn't be in the position where you have to go and get guys who are huge question marks like Josh Gordon and Antonio Brown in consecutive seasons if you've built the team correctly prior, if you have replaced Brandon Cooks, if you have replaced Danny Amendola, if you have a succession plan in place for Rob Gronkowski. Well, then you're not looking at Jacoby Myers and Gunnar Olszewski and Chris Hogan and Philip Dorsett as your options. And that's yeah. what they were. And that's why he was like. Um, my one question, you think the Sanu trade was just a last-ditch effort? Maybe 100%. we could win something. And this guy came in and just kind of – I mean, he had injuries. I know that. He's an older guy. But second-round draft picks, a lot of capital to give up, yep. especially in this draft with the wide receivers we saw go off the board in the second round. Yeah, and I was a big supporter of the Sanu trade because I thought he's a very good player. And you saw it in his first game with the Patriots, 14 targets, 10 catches against Baltimore. He was probably their best offensive threat that game. But once the ankle went, it was a problem. And his confidence, he's always been a great hands guy, but his hands were horrendous. And then his ability to get on a block, I believe it was in the playoff game that he didn't execute against Tennessee and Logan Ryan blew up a run. He just had a bad, bad run. And it's a good player, Mohamed Sanu. But you're right. That was something that the Patriots said, all right, well, we don't know what's going to happen next year. We're probably a receiver away. Well, they couldn't even say that, right? They couldn't say we're a receiver away. I mean, you have Emmanuel Sanders receivers. sitting there. That's, that's what they, I was. See, I, I, that's where you're wrong, Thomas. That's why you're mistaken. I hate to say it. Emmanuel Sanders was going to be a free agent at the end of the year. San Francisco ends up losing him anyway for whatever they dealt. Yeah. So at least you get another year out of Sanu. Mm -hmm. So you're wrong again, Tom. <laughs> Kidding, I'm trying to add some some spice in there. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's but that's where when Belichick talked in the pre-draft during our conference call, and he goes, "Everything I've done over the last 20 years, everything we've done, has been about trying to make life easier for Tom Brady." That's with him saying, "Well, we just got Sanu." Well, come on, you're getting Sanu not to make life easier for Tom Brady. But because you screwed up making life easier for Tom Brady in March, April, and May. Yeah. Anyway, that's my tangent. He's still the greatest coach has ever been. There's no way that any of us would have had the entertainment nor careers 
that we have had had Bill Belichick not been here. But these are, are nits to pick. Yeah, so now we're moving into the post-Brady era. And so obviously after the draft, looks like Stidham's going to be the guy. I saw yesterday you wrote something about how this offseason is going to be really difficult or has been really difficult for Stidham uh, because of what's going on. So he's not getting as much reps, as much coaching as some, uh, you know, a second-year quarterback normally would. Kind of what are you projecting uh, Stidham for this year, and what do you see as his strengths and weaknesses going forward? He's able to throw on the run. He's able to throw with accuracy. He's got good poise and leadership. He's got all the arm you need and more. Um, so if you're accurate, you're a good leader, um, you can throw on the move. You got a lot going for you. Uh, more than anything else, does he understand game situations? That's what I see so many quarterbacks. Look at Josh Allen in the playoff game against Houston. I mean, understand what the situation is. Understand that you, you're playing to extend the game if you're going to play going bad. Can Stidham do things that we watch probably, probably – all but 12 quarterbacks in the league or even 10 quarterbacks in the league have the mentals necessary <laughs> um, to not make things worse. Why do Brady and Rogers throw it away so often? It's that do no harm mentality and it's annoying, but what's the upside? Are you, do you want to turn it over when you know that you're not going to have a 30 point game in the first place? Probably not. So can he master the game situation, where we are in the game? Do you understand how much time's left on the clock? Do you understand how long the defense was just on the field? You can't turn the ball over. You can't take a sack, all that shit. That's the most important stuff, in my estimation, separating arm talent, poise, and leadership from the average to the really good. I think for me, a big key this year, especially for basically a rookie quarterback for him, would be the running game, and if Sony can find room, I mean, we have probably three of the best interior linemen in the NFL if we keep if we keep Joe, mm -hmm. and then I think Nikhil Harry is a breakout candidate. I, I the talent I think is really there with him. You see, right. him at the ball. I think he could be like a real first round draft pick. I think he has all the skills to do that. So hopefully they can get a good repertoire there. Yeah, and I, I don't think. It I don't think it was Sony. I really don't. I still am committed to that belief. It was not Sony Michelle. It's the inability. You, you trade away a, a blocking tight end or lose a blocking tight end in Dwayne Allen, and then you lose a great blocker in Gronk who Face also is offsets and occupies the safety. I mean, it's math and geometry sometimes. If you have a tight end presence on the field who can be a pain in the ass, that means your safety can't come down into the box with as much impunity. You lose James Devlin, you try to run a Landon Roberts and Jacob Johnson and everybody else out there to block for him. It's just not as good. You don't have outside threats, so there's more people crowding that box. You get nothing because none of the receivers are getting open on first down. So now it's second and 10. You decide to hand off. Everybody knows it's coming because that's what you do. Now it's third and 11. High kick. Well, that's what I was thinking. I was, I was saying this uh, last week to Tom. Uh, which is so they drafted the the two tight ends out of the uh, out of the draft from UCLA Virginia Tech and then we get Danny Vitale the fullback so I see them I see them kind of trying to revert back to that yep. uh, week 16 week 17 in 2018 when they played the the Bills and the Dolphins and then go on the playoff run where they kind of go back to uh, like you know we're 100% right. we're gonna run it 
we're going to run it through. So that's kind of where I see at least them trying to get the offense going at the beginning of the year. Um, and I, I think they could have some success there. I, I mean, it'll, it'll depend on a lot of things, but I, I think at least from the draft and from an outside perspective, that's what it looks like. You're Bill's exactly right. Build the team like. You're exactly right. And, and what's the maturation process for those two guys at one of the most difficult positions in this offense, the two tight ends, it's going to be long. You can't just, I mean, you got unique players in Hernandez and Gronkowski who were able to, you know, pretty much get it by the end of 2010. I don't know how those two will pick it up, but yeah. they're obviously, James, picking up on what you see too. Look, let's try and revert to that team that can control the football and be a threat on the ground and not put it all on, on um, Stidham on third down. Yeah, I mean, going back to the draft, I think what are your overall opinions? I said it was a classic Patriots draft, pretty boring. No wide receivers, no quarterback. You fill the two linebacker voids, I think, with two pretty good players. Mm -hmm. What are your opinions with the kicker, stuff like that? Thursday night didn't bother me because I didn't mind them adding a pick. Friday I thought was outstanding because the more I thought about Duggar, the more I you know, got into Duggar and got over the fact that he was at Lenore Ryan. Um, we had a really good story done by my buddy Phil Perry who highlighted the fact that, look, the Cyrus Jones, Duke Dawson – um, Jordan Richards picks, those were character guys from big programs, not even character guys. They were big program guys who Belichick felt would be fits who weren't athletically overwhelming. Duggar is athletically overwhelming from a smaller school, but he's also smart enough when you hear him speak and you hear his story as to why he was at Lenore Ryan, where you can say, oh, all right, they're trying to get a sick athlete as opposed to a perfect fit. And they've, they've probably done that with Duggar, at least set the stage for it. That was a need. Safety, to my, in my estimation, safety is a friggin' huge need and has been for a while. And then they, they need edge guys. They lost Van Noy. They lost Collins. They lost uh, Trey Flowers. They lost Rob Ninkovich. Chase Winovich is their best pass rusher. Adam Butler's good. Lawrence Guy is good, but they're interior. So I had no problems with the linebackers because it frees Hightower up to go outside. Saturday I thought sucked. Um, to take a kicker nobody else was going to bother with perhaps in the fifth round when there's 15 wide receivers, including KJ Hill on the board, it doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, or is it just saying, well, you know, we're not going to be able to figure it out with Stidham this year. Anyway, might as well get a guy who can put some points on the board. What's wrong with Nick Foles anyway? I mean, Nick Foles, Nick Folk. Yeah. Just bring Nick Folk back to kick. Yeah, I, I was a, I'm a big Ohio State guy, so I loved KJ Hill, and I was confused on why he fell to the seventh round. And I thought he was, he at the end of his season, college season, he was getting like volume targets, and he was the only guy in that offense that was really making plays as uh, Dobbins, and they were depending on him, and he was making mm -hmm. the plays. So I was more mad at the no playmaker, and I still think it's a huge hole is the playmaker um, spot on the pad. No matter how you put running back. Uh, or like slot guy or big wide receiver, I think that's still a big hole. Yeah, and, and the thing is, when you look at the team right now, you didn't know that James White and Julian Edelman, fourth and seventh round picks, were going to turn into the playmakers they are. So we're going on what's the, what's the name brand that was attached to the guy. So the possibility exists. You know, Damian Harris could be sick. You know, little J.J. Smith um, could be sick. Um, so we'll see how they develop. But it's all in the hands, really, of McDaniels right now, in, in, to a large extent. I'm going to have to jump off in a quick sec, so I'm going to 
James, I can see you loading up with one. You're closing in on that camera. What do you got? Yeah, uh, I'll go kind of one one big question I was I was curious about. So as a member of the media, what is it like dealing with Bill, uh, Bill Belichick? Is he as difficult as it, it seems on camera? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've known him since he's, you know, I've covered the team since 97. I've known him since 2000. I've had, um, I would describe it as a very good relationship with him for the most part. I'm on a shit list right now <laughs> I think because it's, you know, I was at, <clears throat> excuse me, the Providence Journal from 2000 through 2006. I was, I spoke to him um, the night before they played the Rams on the phone in New Orleans um, and wrote a column when I was then at the Metro West Daily News. Um, I've done articles with him and something I used to do called Irrelevant Questions. We've had a great relationship. Um, but there is a relationship there of, look, there's an expectation and they pay attention to what people are writing. So just try to be fair about what you write. Don't take easy pot shots. Um, and whose side are you on? They're, they're, they're constantly measuring that. So I think my reporting on Brady and Gronkowski and highlighting the fact that you know, both were agitated with Bill and highlighting that both are elsewhere quite likely because of the way Bill did things has probably put Bill in a position where I'm not on his most favored nation status. But, and you can see that in the way we, communicate sometimes during press conferences. Other times we've had a great relationship and joke back and forth in press conferences. Um, but either way, think about it. I've covered the equivalent of Belichick, excuse me, I've covered the equivalent of Lombardi and Walsh and watched nine Super Bowls in person with the team that I grew up following. And I've watched six Super Bowl parades. And I, it's because of Bill Belichick in large part. So if he's a pain in the ass and he's a dink to me when I ask some questions, I'm going to suck it up. Yeah. He's successful at least. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what are we doing? I can't, you know, yeah. so what, anyway, so that's my response to that, but it has been a privilege to cover a guy who could be a dink. Thank you so much for coming on. This is a huge help. Great insight. Yeah. Let's do it again. Uh, you can give me advice. I'll give you advice. I got plenty of advice for you guys. A few moments later. All right. So that was our interview with Tom Curran, getting into a little bit of the Patriots the last, you know, 20 or so years in the Patriots dynasty. And then, you know, where do we go from there? A little Stidham talk, little Brady talk, little Gronk talk, a little bit about the schedule. So getting ready for the NFL season for sure. And so yesterday we had the schedule dropping, which we talked a little bit in the intro, I guess we'll get into it a little bit more. Kind of, you know, what are you looking at for the Patriots schedule and anything kind of jumping out at you right off the, right off the block? I mean, right off the bat, um, that early bye week, that's always a tough thing. The Patriots always love to have the late bye week. So I think that is going to be – that's always tough, tough for us in general. Um, a couple of the games stick out. I would say that that you need to win if you're if you're on the bubble would be the Texans, Chargers, and at least uh, one of the, like the Bills games. I think those like I think you got to snag that game. I think the yeah, as I said before, Chiefs. We have we're playing on the toughest schedule, so you got the Chiefs, Ravens, and we got these up and coming teams, which is interesting. So the Raiders, right? 
They probably look better now. Broncos, Drew Locke, second year. Cardinals, second year, Kyler Murray. Dolphins, and like, turned it around last year. And so you have all these teams that are up and coming, and then you have the stable teams of the 49ers, Ravens, Texans, Rams, Chiefs, Seahawks. So it's, it's tough. Also, sneaky amount of primetime games, a little more than I was expecting us. We got five. We got uh, Seahawks Sunday night, Ravens Sunday night, and then we have Monday night against – oh, and then and then Rams Sunday night, and then Monday night against the Jets and the Bills. So that's – I mean, five primetime games in the post-Brady era was a little more than I was expecting, honestly. I didn't think they'd get – I mean, three Sunday night games, that's – that's a lot. I mean, those games always get flexed too. It, like, right? Don't the, can't they flex those back and they stuff can, like that? But they're not. But they're not going to flex week two. Um, yeah. They could flex. It looks like week twelve against the Ravens. But I don't know. We'll see. But, they could flex. They're not going to flex the Monday night games. They don't do that. No, they don't flex Monday night or Thursday night. But yeah, the Sunday. It's always the this year. The big flex was the Bills Steelers game. I remember that. Um, but yeah, so we talked about with Tom. Just he's mentioned before in some of his articles, just the daunting task of the whole um, schedule, and we'll have to see. I mean, I think the primetime games. I think everyone is going to be satisfied seeing the Patriots lose, and that's just gonna they're going to want to tune in and watch the Bradyless Pats lose. So I think that is going to give them a satisfaction. I mean, how how about ESPN rolling out? I mean, I didn't watch any of it. But the the three hour I schedule. Really, yeah, I didn't. I mean, it just shows how desperate everyone is for sports now. Did you see? Uh, you see the new? They're bumping up the. What is it? The Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire. I think yeah. ninety eight home run. I'm pumped about that. I'm pumped about someone that, said it's, someone uh, tweeted out a pretty funny tweet. It was like, should I say inject this into my veins? <laughs> <laughs> and there's I and then, like I. I don't really know much about Sosa McGuire other than they were kind of OG steroid era guys. So I'm excited to kind of get a little insight into them. They were Yeah, I don't I never got to see them play. I got I got I mean the I think Sammy Sosa had like the craziest like we used to grow up corked bats were a thing. Like it was just because of Sammy Sosa. And then with Mark McGuire, the only thing I really remember was the Roger Maris movie like sixty one and it was it, like, took inside when the Maris family went to see Mark McGuire, like, break his record. Dude, didn't he have, like, 71 home runs in a season? Something it was crazy. I think it was something like, I, I, Yeah, I was going to say 72. It's, uh, maybe that was Barry Bonds who had 72. I don't know. But, yeah, it was it was ridiculous. And then we also have a uh, Roy Halladay. It's either an E60 or a – I think it's E60. I think it's E60. Yeah, I think it's E60. But that's coming out on May 29th maybe or something or – or maybe early June something. I'm pumped yeah. about that. And Roy Halladay was the dude. He was the dude back in the day. Did he throw a perfect game in the playoffs? Is that a thing, right? It was I, know, I, know, no I, I know he had a no-hitter, but something. That's he still ridiculous. A perfect game. He was sick. I remember watching the old Sox games. It was like whenever they'd be playing the Blue Jays, it was never that exciting because, I mean, all, all they had was – I mean, the guys – I remember Vernon Wells staple in the outfield. But they always had kind of a, a carousel of guys coming in and out. But Roy Holiday, that guy was just there, and he'd always Roy Holiday, wasn't it? Beast. 
wasn't it like Roy Oswald too that with them and B and BJ or what's his name AJ Burnett something like that. The old oh yeah, guy. he was yeah. That was before. They had, they had a sneaky, they had a sneaky good team, and then with the Phillies, I think he had um he he did have a postseason no hitter against the Reds in two thousand. I remember that. Remember yeah, that so but he was he was at the top of the game. He was a cover of like two K baseball. He was the best pitcher for a couple of years, and he He's had a, a guy like, a that long. Yeah, he was a guy that no one really knew about, which I think is is what. Uh, like knew who he was, but he was never kind of the uh, uh, you know biggest marketable guy, which I think they're going to get into in this documentary. It seems like he had a lot of mental health problems or prescription drug problems or or something. I think it was maybe anxiety medication. I don't know, but that's going to be very interesting to to get into because he was then he was he was a pilot, which is how he ended up dying. So from the looks of it, he would fly to it was his only release or something. I don't know, but I'm I'm. I'm really excited to at least see what see what they got going on with that. I mean, yeah, he his prime was when we were younger, so I I remember him, and I don't really remember him as much as like the polarizing guys. I think just because you really see him in the news a lot, and he kind of just doesn't really talk because he was eight time All Star. His last All Star appearance, 2011, two time mm-hmm. Cy Young, 2003, 2010. So he was two. That's seven years apart. He won his two Cy Youngs. It just shows you like how dominant he was for a long time. Have you been watching any of this uh, KBO baseball, the Korean league that's been going on? Yeah, I mean, with my sleep schedule, it's kind of been messed up. So I actually got a couple. I watched a couple games. One of the games I watched was actually an American guy was pitching. Yeah. And the difference was absurd. This guy was like ninety-one to ninety-three, blowing guys away. I mean, didn't like spot up great. It's probably why he's there. I think he's around thirty. And then you have the other guy, the lefty. Throwing eighty-five to eighty-six, I, which I was I like, see, oh. yeah, I saw, I saw a little bit of it, uh, just like a couple innings of the last inning. It, do, I mean, it doesn't really do it for me. I'm not missing sports that much at the moment. To, to I mean, it, if watch if it. it's say at uh, afternoon on a Friday when I don't have work to do, I would see, want I it even, to be on three in the afternoon. I'm not gonna stay up and watch it, or we get yeah. up early and watch it. But I don't even see myself – like, it's – I don't know any of the guys. It's low-quality baseball. I don't really – or it's – I mean, it's not low-quality baseball, but it's lower-quality baseball. Um, I don't know. I just – it does really do it for me. It just makes me miss what – It's know, the sound of the bat. The sound of the bat, you know, stuff like that. Like the home runs, the guy at bat flip does. Like, okay, I kind of like this, whatever. But the quality is definitely just not even close to anything. Um, yeah. there's not, we have the Jordan doc, um, coming out. I mean, you get the Brady, the Brady tiger, uh, Mickelson. See, I'm, not that exci- I'm not that excited about that either. Honestly, I'm probably um, not going to watch I, it. I liked, I liked, again? it better not be, but I liked, no, yeah, it probably is. All proceeds are going to Corona, which is a good cause. Yeah, I didn't sell pay-per-view, so I'm not going to buy it. Um, I did like the whatever the interview Zoom call they had, and Manning was just shitting all over Brady. Yeah, he was saying, "Oh, we have to do it over here." Like, and then he was like, "Oh, well, the Boston fans don't like him. He left them <laughs> high and dry and stuff like that." And I was like, "Ooh, That's throwing funny. some shade, throwing some shade there." And then the MJ doc. I think everyone was so excited the first like the like two weekends, and it's just kind of like I'm still right. liking it. I'm I love it, but it, the hype has gone down. Yeah, the hype like, is gone. I, 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 the one thing I wish they showed more of is how dominant he was. Like, I feel like they had, 
they've like told stories, but we haven't seen like how dominant it was. We've gotten like the Celtics game when he was a rookie or whatever and stuff like that. But we haven't really seen how dominant it was. The Phil Jackson thing, I think, was pretty interesting. How they fired Doug Collins, a great coach. Mm-hmm. They bring this like quirky guy in. I don't know. Yeah. The guy who does like acid and like just knows got, the world. Uh, uh, the promo for it is uh, what is it? He's doing baseball next week. They're doing him getting into baseball. Yeah, which will be, yeah. I, I kind of like that. Yeah. I mean, like the weird. He's the only player that could probably quit a sport and then just from his name alone be added into the minor league because he was horrible. Tim Tebow. Okay, yeah. Well, that's the Mets organization, I guess. Yeah, but yeah. that's – He wasn't good. I, George, he, I don't think. He wasn't that good at baseball. He could, I mean, he could have been He could have been good at baseball if he just didn't play basketball and grew up playing baseball. Yeah. Like, it's so hard yeah. to join. But I think what we don't realize, which it gives us a view of, was the first three-peat, how, like, mentally drained he actually was and how he was just, like, so done and needed a break. And I think that just gives you perspective on – like these athletes nowadays are just like, oh, it, t- it took a lot more to almost win back then because they were saying, was it last week when they lost the Pistons, the Eastern Conference Finals, and it was 89 or 90, they like didn't go on vacation. They just went in the gym, worked out. And eventually that just, you can't do that. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to need a break. I know. It's got me thinking, do you think, the NBA season comes back in any way to figure out this championship. You think they just cancel the season? I don't and think they can. The NHL. I for like the LeBron, LeBron, James, for the LeBron, LeBron James factor alone, they can't cancel it because this will be an asterisk on LeBron if he because this year he could be like, oh, I I would have won this year. Yeah, and they're gonna be like, well, you didn't, and, and he's just he's just gonna have an excuse, and I I don't think. That would be that would look really bad, and there's rumors around that the NHLs going back to practicing the 15th, and then they're hoping to, like June 15th is their so I think they're practicing like May May 15th, and then the uh, like playoffs starting June 15th, maybe in like four cities they said. But the basketball's open; they open the facilities, right? I saw that. Yeah, you think so, they do I mean, with no fans, like for for you NHL have to. NBA? I think you have to. I don't see how you – if – so if, if the decision is to play and not have fans or not play, you have to play with no fans, right? Yeah. But yeah, what if you're 100%. in a state – what if you're in a state that is allowing stuff like that? And then it's – that also is a hazard for the players. On a basketball court, it's a hazard because you have people that's right why, from That's why it, it, it makes Hockey's me think if they're going to do it, if they're going to do it, it's going to have to be – in a central location in a state that's allowed because there's going to be different states with different rules. So, so like, like what are you going to let the, the, the Celtics not play, but the, the heat play or I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Whatever I think I want to, I want to see how this affects both the NHL and NBA with like chemistry. Cause you see the mm-hmm. Bruins were mm-hmm. the hottest team in the NHL and that's gonna, that's going to be killer when they come coming back on the ice, getting like the groove in back and some teams kind of get lucky. Basketball is more of a different, but hockey, especially chemistry, means like a lot more. Sure. So I think if one team can get lucky, like the Blues last year, catch fire, just yeah. just and in, in catch these teams that aren't like are off a little bit just from not practicing. So I think it's tough. I mean, I I, I hope both come back. I don't think we're going to see a regular season 
I guess. They, I just think... right the, they just hop right in the playoffs? Well, I think originally if they thought they could come back in May, maybe. But they're talking about – so, what if what, we start in June, and then you go to July. Like, when do they finish in July? And you're going to start the season back up in September? Hmm. You can't – I don't think – like, hockey, hockey is like a 10-month thing, which is kind of tough. So, it's bad. So, we got to Couple couple weeks, we'll see. You know, if they any sort of coming back to any sort of season. I I don't know. I hope it. I think it'll. I'm thinking. I'm thinking June, July. So we'll yeah. see where that goes. Um, other NFL you, news we got going on. Uh, what do we got? Andy Dalton signing. Yeah, James I think Winston that's pretty signing. interesting. I think Anything, the Dalton. Any hot takes there? This might be unpopular. I was talking to Spencer about this, and. Dak, I'm not paying Dak over $20 million a year. I just don't think he's worth it. Yeah, he's good. I think he's top 15. But you're, there's no point. You're, you're ruining your team if you pay him that much. And Andy Dalton has been to the playoffs before. I don't think he's won any playoff games. But I think he's a capable quarterback. And if you have Ezekiel in the backfield, he can get the ball to Amari Cooper, C.D. Lamb, Michael Gallup kind of guy. I don't know why they signed him. Maybe just for insurance, just in case Dak like, holds out. Something like that. But I'm not a big Dak fan in general. I don't. I'm I don't dislike big, him. I don't I'm, dislike him. I'm more of a Dak believer. I don't know believer or whatnot, but he's he's one of the quarterbacks. And kind of the way I think about quarterbacks is like, can do you see this quarterback as having the potential to win a Super Bowl with a with a good team around them? Um, like they don't have to do it themselves. But I think. Uh, I think Dak has the capability of, of winning I would, I would agree. a Super Bowl. I would agree. I just think at the money that he's going to cost, it wouldn't be worth it because they won't have a good enough team. I mean, aren't they franchise tagging him this year? Does that not hurt their cap just as much, or, or am I just not understanding? No, I think the franchise – I don't think the franchise tag is that – I think the franchise tag is less than he wants an annual salary. Uh, but I think wants- if you – but if you franchise tag him next year, I'm pretty sure it's like $39 million. So that's which is, that which is absurd amount of money. I mean, uh, Pat Mahomes is Pat Mahomes probably is the only one that's going to deserve that. He's going to get paid. Yeah, but kind of like what we were saying earlier, like that's going to screw the rest of the roster construction because you you pay too much money in the quarterback, and then now your O line serving or your linebacking core serving or your secondary or Still, yeah, I mean, whatever, whatever it is. Your offensive lineman that you that you got these first round draft picks are going to want more money. So I think that yeah. is that's definitely a real concern there. And other the other news, I mean, we're going to find out if they're going to pay Dak. Jerry Jones has a lot of money, so he can do it. But football is weird at the cap. Football is definitely probably the biggest sport where you got to finagle the cap. And there's the most moving around with Belichick. Scene. The Winston signing, I guess it's whatever. I mean, like good good for him. Hopefully, he can learn from Breeze. Um, there's nothing. There hasn't been a lot of news. A couple fifth-year options were declined. Um, that just I think there's a lot more decline than they picked up, which is kind of crazy. Miles Garrett's is picked up. Um, but there's nothing. I mean, the sports world is kind of getting almost more boring after the draft now. Yeah. Uh, besides that, I mean, it's going to be kind of nothing the, until until any sort of sports comes back. There's not. Yeah, we literally have the KBO. It's the Korean Baseball yeah. League is the only one. Uh, UFC this weekend. Oh, is it UFC this weekend? 
Yeah, UFC. I'm not a big UFC guy, but I'll watch it. <laughs> Is it, it probably pay-per-view, right? Yeah, probably. Uh, pay-per-view so starts at 10. I think, I think you like, it's like eight to 10 and then pay-per-view starts at, at 10. Just something. I haven't paid for, I haven't paid for a pay-per-view since, uh, the McGregor Mayweather fight. That's the last thing I paid on pay-per-view. And then I saw I the, think the I Mayweather paid, path, yeah, before that. I think one of my friends paid for the Wilder Fury fight. Oh yeah. That was sick. I wish I, I wish I saw that. It wasn't a good fight though. So no, there's nothing really. They're talking uh, about a rematch there, I guess. Uh, Wilder, Wilder in his contract, out. he had they have in his contract, he had a, had a option for a third fight. So oh, it was Yeah, definitely. I, he he was saying that he blamed it on his costume being too heavy and his legs were tired. I saw that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how you can do that, dude. But no, if it's forty-five pounds. I'm not gonna lie, dude. I would, if you walk for five minutes with a 45-pound vest, I no, don't no, think no. it's going to. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, you don't think it's going to affect? I think it would. I'm yeah. I'm stupid to wear something like that. Like, that just doesn't make any sense. Just try, it doesn't. Uh, is that a built-in excuse? Is that just a built-in excuse right there? So he. That's pretty smart. No, I'm going to say no. Uh, yeah. But the people, the boxing, the boxing guys did say, like, Fury figured something out in the later rounds of their first fight and, like, started attacking him. I'm not a boxing guy by any means. No. And they said, like, Fury went at him, and that put Wilder on his heels. And then right away, that first fight, Fury just kind of set that tone. And then, see, Fury's dad challenged Mike Tyson. Yeah. Oh, you see, Mike Tyson, like, so, someone's offering $5 million to do a bare-knuckle boxing match with Mike Tyson or something like they're paying for something. I don't know. That's 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 content. I would definitely go. Yeah, I would definitely watch. I would pay to see that. I just would not want to be in the ring with him. Mike Tyson is just one of those guys. The name just attracts so much. Has there been a Tyson doc? uh, 30 for 30? No, I feel like there's been a Vander Holyfield one. There's an Evander Holyfield one that was sick. I feel like there's always stuff about him, like segments and stuff like that. Maybe he's 60s. There's a ESPN always does like those little clips. I I mean, what what's the next one? So you have we have the Jordan steroids era. Back to the steroid era. I I I'm a big proponent of just juicing everyone up in the MLB and just seeing what happens. It'd be just stupid. Well, you see, like, Bar- like Barry Bonds should should be in the Hall of Fame. I think he's just as good. As... He's one of the best hitters of all time. He was sick. No, but I think he's just as like okay. Maybe he's not getting the home run power, but I think he still puts oh. up absurd amount of numbers. Because yeah. baseball, like it's it's more of a, like your swing starts to be good. You can't just in football you can't just push someone. So I still I mean, think he wouldn't have he wouldn't have beat Hank Aaron's record at least in my opinion. I don't think he would have. Without yeah. steroids. He was a 40-40 guy, though. He was a 40-40 yeah. guy in the Pirates. So he had 40 steals yeah. and 40 home runs. And then I think the, the craziest thing about Bonds was his, like, walks number. Absurd. He you got know, walked. You know he got walked with bases crazy, loaded. You know who else has crazy, uh, like, OBP walk numbers? Frank Thomas. His stats I saw the other day, the other week. The big he, hurt. He was so much better than I thought he was. They I had, he was just didn't like, they have a thirty for thirty on Frank Thomas? You, he went to he went to Auburn for football. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Man. And he was on scholarship for football, and like eventually just went to baseball, but he stayed on a football scholarship. 
But I, I love the steroid era. I wish I was older at that point just to see those like crazy numbers being put up. And uh, like seeing what's his Barry Bonds go from tiny to just like yeah. his head just imploding. I, 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 got, I got Pedro. to see him hit a home run. Yeah. I got I to see him hit a home run off of Wakefield. Yeah. Wakefield, he just nailed a knuckleball. Nuke. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so about wraps it up for today. Yeah. It's pre- pretty boring uh, weekend sports, to say the least. Probably probably continue to get boring. But we'll find stuff to talk about. I mean, uh, there's yeah, always we're gonna, we're the more gonna boring have, it gets, uh, the more little nitty-gritty stuff there to talk about. Yeah, we'll have, we'll have a nice Jordan-LeBron debate with Henry, Henry yeah. next time around. That will be heated, trust me. I, I yeah. have it every day with him. And I want to see how, how the Jordan doc and a, and a LeBron fan, he's a LeBron first guy. I want to see how that's like changed that. his mind. Because I think Jordan's looked like an absolute savage. Yeah. I love Jordan. All right. Well, signing off. See you guys. See ya.